The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to bounce back as we kick off a new trading month amid that wave of volatility by speculative trading on Biola's retail investors. Robinhood looking to further curb that volatility stemming from those short squeeze stocks with fresh steps to limit some kinds of trading and those speculative traders now turning their attention to silver as the commodity finds itself in the spotlight amid surging prices. President Biden set to meet with a group of Republican lawmakers in the push to get a COVID relief package out to millions of Americans. And we are following, of course, a massive massive winter storm that's crippling a large swath of the country, blanketing the Northeast with heavy snow this morning. I drove through it today. It's Monday, February 1st, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Appropriate song for this morning. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Here's how your money and the global markets are setting up their day with a new trading month in play. Stock futures indicating a decent rise at the opening bell with the Dow implied higher by around just 200 points here. The S&P 500 up by 31 and the Nasdaq up by 133, looking to rebound a bit from those losses last week. This all comes after Friday's sell-off to wrap up a roller coaster week on Wall Street amid that wave of speculative trading and volatility by those retail investors. The Dow, the S&P 500, and Nasdaq all falling around 2% or more for the week. All three indices were down between 3 and 3.5% in that time span. Now, those losses erasing the initial gains we saw with the start of the new year. The Dow closing January out down 2%, as you can see here, while the S&P was down 1%. The Nasdaq was able to hold on to some gains thanks to the big tech turnaround and continued strength there, rising nearly 1.5% for that time span. Let's now go worldwide. Jumana Bersecci is in our London newsroom with a look at the early trade in Europe. And what I can see, Jumana, is a lot of green on the screen. Yep, that's it, Dom. We're starting off the week definitely in a, a lot more positive territory than we ended the week uh, last week. You can see right behind me every single European board is trading in the green. FTSE 100 in the UK up about six-tenths of a percentage point. We're seeing a very strong performance in some of the miners. Remember, a lot of the European miners are actually domiciled in the UK. They're seeing a boost today. Why? Well, because of that silver squeeze uh, that I know that you're going to be talking about later on in the show. Kekahont uh, in France also up about eight-tenths of a percentage point. Zetradax in Germany up 1.1%. Here we had some PMI manufacturing numbers. The final numbers came in slightly better than the flash. 
Also, Italy very much in focus. The FTSE MIB up about three-tenths of a percentage point. Here we're watching for political developments this week to see what will happen with the future of the government. But there is one stock I want to talk about in particular in the UK. It's caught a lot of attention over the last couple of days, and that is AstraZeneca. You can see it. It's up. Well, not really up a lot. It's treading on water. But the big news out of AstraZeneca today is that they have agreed to supply the EU with 9 million more doses of its COVID-19 vaccine this quarter, bringing the total to 40 million. Now, the delivery will begin one week earlier than expected. And this, uh, the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said it marked a step forward after an unexpected supply cut fuel tensions between the bloc and the drug maker. And it is a story we've been watching very, very closely. There was an unexpected row that erupted between the EU, the bloc as a whole, the commission, and the company itself. But it feels as though they have come to some form of a resolution over the weekend. Uh, not much reaction in the stock, but definitely a positive for those who are looking for the vaccine supply in Europe, Dom. And with that, I'll hand it back to you. All right, Jumana Bersetti, live in London with the latest there. Thank you very much. Now to this morning's top stories. Robinhood says it will continue to limit trading today on short-squeezed stocks at the center of last week's market volatility. Robinhood has also cut down its list of restricted stocks from as many as 50 on Friday down to just eight. That includes companies at the center of the explosive rallies among including GameStop, AMC Entertainment, BlackBerry, Koss, Nokia. You know those names by heart now. The Reddit crowd the trading ones, apparently now turning their attention to what's happening with silver. The commodity climbing as much as 8% overnight. Right now, you can see there Comex Silver up by about 11%, $29.76 an ounce there. That spike in demand appears to be related to those retail traders in the Wall Street Bets Reddit forum, which had multiple active threads dedicated to silver on last night. The phrase silver squeeze was also, believe it or not, trending on Twitter. And CNBC has learned that hedge fund Melvin Capital Management lost 53% of its investments in January amid that record rally in GameStop and other stocks that the fund was betting against. Sources say Melvin's assets under management now stand at more than $8 billion, including the emergency funding, down from roughly $12.5 billion at the beginning of the year. CNBC reported last week Melvin Capital closed out its short position in GameSpot and Citadel and Point72 Management infused close to $3 billion into that Melvin fund to shore up its finances. Well, back to the broader markets now, which are coming off both a volatile Friday and week amid that frenzy of trading in heavily shorted stocks like GameStop. But some analysts believe it's unlikely the impact of this short squeeze will ripple through the overall market. Jeffrey's saying fear signals are implying the worst of the degrossing has happened. Your next guest says there are a number of ways for investors to take advantage of big moves in volatility. Mark Hayfley, Chief Investment Officer, UBS Global Wealth Management, joins us right now. Mark, thank you very much for for, for taking the time here. Let's talk about whether or not we do think that this volatility is something that should be feared, or should you try to find a way to take advantage of it, and if so, how? Well, I think it's a normal part of the market, particularly now, I think, where we're shifting maybe from the work from home trade into some of the laggards from last year. And I think that's where we would focus. And certainly there's ways to play the volatility. But of course, for most investors, the best thing to do is to have uh, you know enough liquidity on hands that when you get these kinds of short-term blips, 
you can take advantage of it to rebalance your portfolio. How exactly does one rebalance the portfolio? What do you go into, given, that, given what we've seen, given this idea that there is a degrossing happening, that hedge funds and other big institutional players are trying to take down some levels of risk in their overall portfolios? Well, you know, the, the hedge funds are forced to take down risk because, uh, they, you know, they, they're levered up in ways that uh, are difficult when, when you're getting this transition, say, around the vaccine. But I think one of the things that many investors can do, uh, one of the things we've been recommending is moving away from the winners from last year, things like the mega cap tech and towards the more value plays, the more cyclical plays, and also looking for American investors looking abroad, perhaps more to value on the EM side or value in Asia. If it's value on the EM side and value in Asia, where do you find it? Only because if you take a look at some of the ETFs that track it, they've had massive runs, in some cases exceeding that of the S&P 500 since the pandemic lows. Yeah, well, I think one of the longer term trends that we've been focused on that has, uh, like some of these trends that you highlighted, that has flows behind it, but also uh, has an investment case, is around sustainable investing. For example, uh, 41% of the flows into ETFs and uh, mutual funds in Europe last year were towards sustainable investing. We see a tremendous demand in, from our clients in Asia for sustainable portfolios. So these are some of the trends that I think are more durable, uh, both on the flow side, but also on, on the valuation side. So, so is it safe to say, Mark, I mean, the idea of sustainable finance trends, th- this notion here that your clients are paying closer attention to some of those types of investing themes than some of the short squeezes that have been happening in the markets, not just in silver today, but in stocks like GameStop and AMC, the ones that were perhaps near bankruptcy at some point in the past. Which is the more predominant theme among your clients right now? I I can tell you that uh, for most clients, these longer-term trends, looking for the next big thing, sustainability uh, certainly plays into that. You know, the next big thing is is not going to be one individual stock trading below $5, right? So it's it's these kind of bigger trends. And then within that, you know, I think they're looking to drill down and find what are the kinds of technology and other things that are going to support green tech, for example? What is going to dis- what kind of tech might disrupt kind of traditional sectors and help move it towards this green revolution that we see? How exactly does one find those opportunities, Mark? I, I know that you, you and your colleagues are paid by clients to, to, to hunt <laughs> these out. But what types of companies, how do you play that transformation? One of them is the, the, the reinvention of big oil. Which oil companies are, do, are doing the best at that? Which ones are doing the best, perhaps, at, at, at solar energy? What, what companies, how do you flush them out? Well, I think that, uh, you know, what we do is we have we do have teams around the world and we, we look at the flows, we look at the valuations, and then we do put together lists on individual names for clients. But again, I think it's it's more about this bigger trend. So, for example, we have 100 percent sustainable uh, multi-asset investment portfolio, and that was not only our fastest growing, but our best performing solution next year. So I don't think you necessarily have to get in the weeds when the flows are this strong into something like the next big thing around sustainability. All right. The next big thing for sure there. Mark Hayfley at UBS. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir.
All right, well, now to Washington, D.C. President Biden is set to meet with a group of Republican lawmakers later today in a bid to try and reach a deal on a COVID relief package. Tracy Potts joins us now from Washington, D.C. with the very latest there. Good Monday morning, Tracy. Hi, Dom. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So those Republicans are pitching a completely different plan. It's a lot cheaper than what the president uh, put out there, that $1.9 trillion. And they're hoping uh, that his inaugural promise of unity will lead not only to the sit-down meeting today, but some compromise. President Biden has agreed to meet this afternoon with 10 Senate Republicans pitching a new COVID relief plan. The president has said repeatedly he is open to ideas wherever they may come. The Republican plan is a third the cost of Biden's with the same money for vaccinations, but nearly 90 percent less to reopen schools. That issue is teachers unions telling their teachers not to go to work. We can get kids back to school without, you know, kind of bailing out the teachers unions. Stimulus checks would drop to $1,000 and phase out for higher income families. If you look at the administration's plan, you could have a family with three kids uh, making almost 300000 bucks a year getting a check. And many of these people have had no impact from COVID. In fact, some are doing quite well. Others are struggling. Let's focus on those who are struggling. Democrats argue relief must do more. We cannot have children in America going hungry, people being evicted. Schools not open. We need to open our schools in a safe way. The money can't come fast enough. New strains of coronavirus have arrived in the U.S. The surge that is likely to occur with this new variant from England is going to happen in the next 6 to 14 weeks. More illness, more deaths. Are you ready? Experts say more shots are the best way to fight it. And there's money for more shots in both of these relief plans. Lawmakers trying to squeeze in a vote, at least a preliminary one, before the impeachment trial starts next week. Dom? All right, Tracy Potts with the latest there in Washington. Thank you very much for that. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, the latest on that massive winter storm that's hammering the Northeast right now with heavy snow and very high winds, plus the deal that never was. New details on the apparent merger talks between two very large oil giants, and we talked to one housing industry insider about the trends he's seeing and what it could mean for the red-hot real estate market right now. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. After a strong year for home remodeling in 2020, expectations are for that trend to continue in 2021 as people stuck inside look to keep making improvements to their homes. Joining me now is National Kitchen and Bath Association CEO Bill Darcy. Bill, thank you very much for the early wake-up call this morning. Let's talk about whether or not 2021 will be as strong as 2020. Absolutely. Good morning, Dom. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we had strong fundamentals going into COVID and, 
you have things like the average age of the home, uh, nearly 40 years old. You know, they, they need repair and replacement. Uh, mortgage rates remain low, uh, which drive housing demand, and, and it also drives uh, kitchen and bathroom modeling. So we expect a lot of growth, continued growth in, in 2021. All right. So what's driving that growth? We know that there's been a huge uh, influx of people to suburban communities from urban centers because of the virus pandemic. A lot of people choosing to opt for, you know, any kind of life outside of a densely populated area. Is it new home sales? Is it is it people who are still in their homes looking to remodel? What's the biggest driver of that spend in home remodeling? Yeah, it, it, it's it's a lot of the people remaining in their home and you know, working in their home, schooling in their home. They they have these spaces that they've been looking at for a while, but they, they were spending a lot of time taking the kids all over the place and, and commuting and things like that. They didn't have some of the discretionary funds that they're saving by not going on vacation. So these rooms in the home where, you know, you spend a lot of time, you want to make them better. And and so uh, I think people just continue to invest in in their sanctuary, whether that's the bathroom and the kitchen, especially those two areas where we spend the most time. You know, I remember, you know, th- there have been a couple of times I've been involved with real estate transactions and, and people would always tell me, sometimes realtors would say that that kitchens and bathrooms are the places that you want to spend because it's the place that you will find the biggest return on your investment or at least a payoff of what you've spent. What exactly is the driving force behind why kitchens and baths are as important to homeowners as the way that they are right now? You know, it's the, it's the focal point of the home. It's also where you spend most of the time. Historically, you spent the most time in the kitchen, but now even more than ever. So these are the places where you're cooking your food. You're, you're, you're spending the time with the family. Kids are hooked up. They're doing their schoolwork. This is where you want to make the best place in your home. And now that you're forced to stay in your home, you know, more than you know usual during COVID, um, why not make it better if you have the funds? So uh, we were very happy that, you know, and also, uh, you know, on the bathroom side, people need a space to escape. I mean, clearly in, the, in, in this environment more than ever. So those two rooms are, are where you spend most of the time. You want to make them better for your family. I mean, 16 percent growth we project in 2021 and up to 160 billion dollars in sales. So this is a place where it's going to continue to grow. And we, we encourage homeowners to take a strong look at this. Now, also contractors are, are going to be maybe probably allowed in the home more frequently in 2021. So if you look at 2020, where some people still did, did projects, they might have been a, a bit reluctant to have contractors in the home. But with all the positive signs around the vaccines and things coming, we expect homeowners to be even more confident to have contractors in their homes uh, doing projects in 21. All right. It was a big trend in 2020. It could be in 2021 as well. Bill Darcy, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Dom. Have a great day. You too. Well, still on deck for the show, the Reddit retail investor wave is gripping Wall Street. Now it's making its way to markets overseas, believe it or not. The international name seeing big bumps in trading these days. And February is Black History Month. And we're honoring some of our CNBC contributors. Here is New England Patriots linebacker Brandon Copeland on the racial wealth gap and the importance of financial literacy. There's a reason why this NFL player decides to take his off seasons and go back to his alma mater just to teach a course on financial literacy. The lack in access to information has caused the racial wealth gap over centuries. It's time that we finally put an emphasis on financial education in our schools throughout the country, but specifically in black and brown communities. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back. That's a live shot right there of Rockefeller Center. You can see the snow has already fallen there. It's very, very cold. And we are tracking that massive winter storm that is making its way up the East Coast, set to bring upwards of two feet of snow in some parts of the region and crippling travel already. We have team coverage following the latest on this storm's path, as you can see, with NBC News' meteorologist, Janessa Webb, also Bill Karens as well. Let's start with you, Janessa, who is in Times Square, New York City, by the way, where the snow is piling up right now. Janessa, how bad are the conditions out there? You know, Dom, just in the last four hours since we've been here, things have really started to pick up in the last hour. The winds, they are starting to crank, as Bill's going to tell you that nor'easter is starting to develop. But I really want to show you the roadways here in Times Square. We've already seen about three inches fall. And what happened was after midnight, things started to crank up. Then things have died down. It's been intermittent throughout the overnight hours, but we're expecting to to see a heavier snowfall uh, throughout the day. Now, the mayor of New York City has issued that state of emergency and starting at 6 a.m., unless you're an essential worker, you want to be off roadways. What we have seen just in the last uh, four hours, we talked to some of the plows. They have plowed these streets three to four times already. And, man, things are still pretty dicey across the area. So what's happening right now is the winds. They're, they have become an issue. I do want to let everybody know with the winds picking up and the potential for power outages, it's very important that you have everything charged throughout the day. This is, will be a 36-hour event, and we're looking at potential of power outages across the Northeast. So we're going to continue to watch it out here. Dom? All right, Janessa, I can tell you right now that the New York City streets deserve kudos because I live in Connecticut and the streets out there when I left early this morning were still not plowed. So New York City is certainly looking much better than other parts of the Northeast right now. Janessa, thank you very much for that. Let's now turn to Bill Karens for what to expect in the coming hours of this storm. And Bill, like I just alluded to, it, the conditions were terrible in certain parts that were not plowed yet. How bad could it get? We're still not at the worst of it. Uh, I'm going to tell people in southern New England and including in New York City area, don't be on the roads from about, I'd say, early this morning till this evening. Uh, we're going to see snowfall rates that the plows won't even be able to keep up with. So, you know, 75 million people impacted by the storm. Uh, the lighter amounts are still back from Kentucky to Virginia. And that's just where ice roads could be kind of icy sidewalks, too. But the really high impactful stuff is north of Philadelphia and going to be around New York City all day long and then into southern New England later this afternoon and Boston as we head through the evening hours. And the snow already is all you know, from Buffalo to Albany to Boston. As you mentioned, Connecticut, northern portions of New England are already 
Uh, it's going to start to see some snow by late morning. Now, the high impacts, the areas that you see there in the pink, that's 18 inches of snow. So that's a good chunk of the Catskills, the lower Hudson Valley, all the way down through the Poconos. I think when New York City is all said and done, could be easily over a foot, maybe 16 inches. If some of those heavy snow bands set up right over the top of New York City, 20 inches is even possible. And the wind gusts, too, especially coastal areas, 40 to 50 mile per hour winds. And if we get some of that heavy, wet snow and those high winds, we will get some scattered power outages, too. The power outage forecast, you know, isn't really like super dramatic, but we are going to see some. And Dom, here's one of the things we'll be watching in New York City. Can we make it into the top 10 list for snowfalls? To get to the top five, you need at least 21 inches. To get into the top 10, you need 18 inches. It is possible. We'll find out later on today. I'm hoping we don't get there, Bill. That's just me. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much for that. We'll keep an eye on things and we'll see you throughout the course of the day, I'm sure. Bill Karens at NBC, thank you very much. Still on deck for the show, President Biden and Republican lawmakers set to come together today to try to get a deal done on coronavirus stimulus. Elon Moy is standing by with the latest there on where those talks stand. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the CNBC app. Worldwide Exchange is back right after this. Good morning. Futures pointing to a higher open as the markets look to bounce back from their worst week since October. A developing story out of Washington. Ten Republican senators presenting President Biden with a smaller stimulus proposal. Plus, first it was GameStop, then it was cryptocurrencies. Now it's silver. The metal is jumping this morning as Reddit traders pour into that precious metal. It's Monday, February 1st, February 1st, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Here is how your money and investments are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Stock futures, as you can see, very much in the green. The Dow pointing to an open that could be implied as high as nearly 200 points. The S&P higher by roughly 30 and the Nasdaq 100 higher by just about 120 points at this point. This is all coming after Friday's big sell off to wrap up a roller coaster week on Wall Street amid that wave of speculative trading and volatility caused by, in many ways, retail investors. The Dow, the S&P 500, and Nasdaq all falling around 2% or more for the week. For the week, all three major indices were down again between 3 and 3.5% on top of what we just saw on Friday. Those losses erasing the initial gains that we saw in the start of the new year. The Dow closing January out down 2% while the S&P was down 1%. But the Nasdaq was able to hold on to gains thanks to tech's continued strength. It rose, as you can see there, nearly one and a half percent. Also watching the price of silver. Yes, silver seeing big jumps overnight as the Reddit fueled boom in those shorted stocks appears to be spilling over into the precious metals market. Right now, Comex Silver is up 10 percent, twenty nine dollars and sixty seven cents an ounce. The last trade there. Well, in corporate headlines this morning, Chevron and Exxon reportedly talked about the possibility of a merger last year. Yes, a merger between the two. The CEOs of both companies spoke about the idea after the pandemic led to a drop in oil prices. Those talks were preliminary and are not, not ongoing. No comment from the companies on those reports, but you can see there Exxon and Chevron, both big losers in the one-year span. 
Walmart is donating $14.3 million to 16 nonprofit organizations focused on advancing racial equality. This is part of the $100 million the retailer pledged in the wake of the George Floyd protests as it promised to help fight systemic racism across the country. And in COVID-related news, the CDC reports nearly 50 million vaccine doses have been distributed in the United States as of Saturday morning. And nearly 30 million doses have actually been administered. So some positive news on that front. We hope that trend continues. Now to a developing story out of Washington, D.C. A group of 10 Republican senators is putting together a proposal for a smaller $600 billion COVID relief plan. President Biden is set to meet with that group today. Ilan Moy joins us now with a look at what we can expect and how different are those plans besides the price tag? What's getting cut? Yeah, Donald, President Biden at least appears to be trying to make good on his promise of bipartisanship here. This group of 10 moderate Republican senators sent him a letter yesterday outlining the framework for their $600 billion plan and asking to meet with him to brief him on those details. The letter said, with your support, we believe that this plan could be approved quickly by Congress with bipartisan support. Last night, the White House said that Biden did speak directly with Senator Susan Collins of Maine, who's one of the leaders of the group. That's when he invited them to the White House for a full exchange of views. But as you alluded to, this GOP plan is just a fraction of the cost of the administration's $1.9 trillion proposal. There's less money for schools, for unemployment insurance, and perhaps most importantly, for direct checks. Now, the White House also noted that Biden spoke yesterday as well with Democratic leadership, Nancy Pelosi in the House and Chuck Schumer in the Senate. And the administration reiterated that the danger now is not in doing too much, it is in doing too little. Americans of both parties are looking to their leaders to meet the moment. Now, even as Biden does reach across the aisle, two sources tell me the Democrats are still planning to move forward with a process that allows them to pass a bill without GOP support. They plan to introduce a budget resolution in the House today. So, Dom, what we're seeing is Democrats pursuing two very different strategies at the same time. And right now, it's not clear which one is going to have the momentum. Back to you. I mean, are, are they trial balloons? What's the point of doing something like this? Is it maybe just to kind of gauge how exactly the, the support would be for each one of these paths to kind of see where they eventually want to throw their support behind? Yeah, I, I think it's I think that's you hit the nail on the head there, Dom. Democrats are in a tough spot because they do see that there is a deadline for getting something done. And that is March 14th, when some of these enhanced unemployment benefits expire. If they're going to use this process to do this on their own, they have to get it started now. Otherwise, they're not going to be done in time by March 14th because that process does take a while. At the same time, President Biden, you know, ran on unity, ran on healing the soul of the nation. So he wants to show he's at least making this good faith effort toward Republicans. So if they're able to come to bipartisan agreement, they can move very quickly to make a new COVID relief package happen. But if not, they need to get started now in order to pass something by the middle of March. It's of huge interest to millions of Americans out there. Elon Moy, thank you very much for staying on top of that story for us. We'll talk to you later on. A new week here, and we're seeing another chapter in the battle between Reddit traders and hedge funds. David versus Goliath. First, it was stocks with heavy short interests like GameStop, AMC, and BlackBerry. Then it was cryptocurrencies like Dogecoin. Now this morning, we're seeing a jump in silver futures. Let's bring in Mark Yusko, CEO and CIO of Morgan Creek Capital Management. 
Mark, it's one thing for a $1 billion company that has a short interest of 100 maybe plus percent on there. It's completely different when it comes to a fairly liquid precious metal. What exactly is the purpose of going after silver? Well, look, Dominic, uh, I think the, um, the challenge for all of us right now is, is markets have, have become much less liquid. Uh, you would think we were more liquid as, as we grew and had more participants. Uh, but I think in, in certain parts of the market, whether it be small cap stocks or uh, certain tech stocks or, or now you see these, the precious metal, uh, there's just not a lot of incremental liquidity, and, and it, it makes for uh, easy targets for people who want to get on the other side of people who are short. So, so, but, why, but why silver? Why not gold? Why not, uh, palad- why, why not the PGMs, right, the platinum group metals that, that many people yeah. talk about here? There are some out there who believe that it's just the lower price tag per ounce. It gives them more, more ammunition, so to speak, right, more ability to buy more shares, more ounces yeah. of silver. Is it simply that just the price of silver is only $30 compared to $1,800, $1,900 for gold? Yeah, look, I, I think that's definitely part of it. Uh, I think um, one of the things about the, the small traders is they do prefer smaller price tags. But, uh, you know, this is not new, right? There's, there seems to be nothing new in this world, Dom. Uh, we saw the Hunt brothers try to do this many years ago, corner the silver market. And I think, you know, gold is a gigantic market, $8.7 trillion of, of total value around the world. Silver is significantly smaller uh, orders of magnitude smaller. So if you're going to attack uh, an area where you think you have a chance to do a squeeze, you're going to uh, go after the smaller. How how much of this, what can be characterized, I, I, and I'm looking for your kind of expert opinion here on this, how much of the action that you've seen in things like GameStop and AMC, and maybe what's happening with Silver right now, you brought up the Hunt Brothers, what exactly in your mind can be considered market manipulation versus just the market's normal activities squeezing certain people out? Well, you, you, know, you bring up a, another great point, Dom. Uh, it's clearly manipulation. Um, when you think about low, vol- vo- low volume uh, securities and the ability for a small number of, of individuals or, or larger groups to, to take significant positions that um, drive a stock in, in a certain direction, think about uh, what happened to certain oil stocks during the COVID crisis uh, when the Saudis came in and, and bought up big parts of, of those companies uh, and they spiked after the, uh, the fall. Um, this has been going on for, for many, many years. And when somebody has a, a public platform or a pulpit where they can uh, talk about what they're doing and other people follow on, uh, I think the one myth, though, is that this is a bunch of people, you know, up early in their home, turning on their computer and and trading a few shares. That's not what drives these big moves. It's the institutional money that comes in after these waves and really pushes things. So if you look at GameStop, for example, the the average trader isn't the one making the 50, 100, you know, million dollar moves. It's the, the big institutions following on those those trends. I, you, you, you hit the nail. You, you hit the nail on the head here for me. I was just going to ask you, we talk about this notion like it's just retail traders who are doing this. But at some points here, you see trading volumes in GameStop in the 40, 50, 60, hundreds of millions of shares per day. 
that is not just retail traders. That has got to be attracting some kind of institutional money. I'd be surprised if I was a hedge fund manager and I had capital to expend. Why I wouldn't try to hop on this train as well? How much do you think this kind of market activity will then end up bringing in the institutional trader, thereby taking away a lot of the thesis about, hey, Wall Street's losing in this whole thing. It's retail traders winning. Yeah, Wall Street doesn't lose. <laughs> you know, this concept that uh, somehow the, the David and Goliath applies here. Remember, think about it. What does Robin Hood cost the average trader? That would be zero. Uh, why is it zero? Well, somebody is paying Robin Hood. Oh, wait, it's the big high frequency trading hedge funds who are buying the data from Robin Hood. They're then front running. They're trading ahead of the retail traders. So the retail traders, while they think they're getting a good deal, and some of them, look, they've made lots of money uh, and there's, there's many great stories, but at the end of the day, uh, those institutional buyers and sellers are doing all of the big movement. And um, I, I do agree completely with you, Dom, that it, it's not the, the little guy or gal that's driving the price. They may be setting the target through the activity on the bulletin board. But again, that's not new either. I posted on my Twitter stream uh, last week a story about a 16-year-old who got arrested and then charged by the SEC for fraud for posting on a bulletin board in 2000, so 20 years ago. So again, nothing new in this world. All right. And before we let you go, it seems like forever since we talked about some of the frothier parts of the market being things like in the IPO market and SPACs, special purpose acquisition companies. They were supposed to be that sign that things were kind of spilling over. Do we still worry about the SPAC market right now? Uh, What we worry about is any company that that comes to market at at a bad valuation. You know, one of the things we just did, Morgan Creek and and our partner Exos Financial, we just launched uh, an ETF, an actively managed ETF, uh, SPXZ. And the idea there is that if you think about SPACs, they're just a legal structure, uh, like a mutual fund or, or any other legal structure. So what matters is the underlying company. And yes, there are certain underlying companies in any IPO boom, whether it's now or whether it was 20 years ago in 2000, um, 21 years ago in 2000, where you're going to see things that, that don't make sense. And so I think buying anything in the markets today that's indexed or capitalization weighted, I think is very, very dangerous. Indexation and capitalization weighting are great momentum strategies. They're great for a bull market. They're great for liquidity. You just had a story on where they're talking about reducing the amount of stimulus in the economy. I think that means a lot of overvalued securities, whether they be SPACs, IPOs, or just traditional stocks or even bonds, are going to struggle in that environment. So active management is key, and that's why we launched our new ETF. All right. Lots of cross-currents for sure. Mark Yusko, always great to get your thoughts. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Coming up on the show, the Reddit frenzy moves overseas. We'll talk about the global names. Yeah, the global ones seeing a surge in interest and the bigger implications. That's all coming up next. Welcome back. The ongoing surge in retail traders on Reddit is making moves and it's having big sways on Wall Street. But now it's being felt in ripple effects overseas as well. A number of beaten down stocks in Europe are seeing their own rally amid this short squeeze frenzy. Seema Modi, join, Seema Modi joins us now with more on that. And Seema, what exactly what kinds of companies are akin in Europe to GameStop and AMC here? 
Yeah, well, let's go through the list, Don. The short squeeze that started on Wall Street has swept across the globe, at least in certain markets. Uh, in London, you have Trading212, a trading platform, said last week it had stopped taking on new customers, tweeting due to the unprecedented demand we have temporarily stopped onboarding new clients. In Israel, uh, trading service eToro says it's been urging customers to be mindful of their actions and protective of their capital. The buying dom, it does not seem to be confined to U.S. companies. Last week, UK theater chain Cineworld surged 17%. Like AMC, Cineworld has been hit hard by the pandemic, closing cinemas in the UK and in the US last year. It's also the second most shorted stock in the UK. Also in the UK, education firm Pearson with a short interest of 15%. In France, the second most shorted stock clip here, Nokia in Finland. These are the type of stocks that popped last week. The move uh, that we're seeing in these European names does pale in comparison to counterparts in the U.S., but it does suggest retail traders are evaluating companies with similar characteristics in foreign markets. One note, unlike in the U.S., where there is limited disclosure on short selling, in Europe, investors do have to share when they short a certain percentage of a stock. Interestingly enough, back in March, when global markets were selling off at the height of the pandemic, European regulators outright banned short selling to curb volatility. That ban was lifted two months later. Dom? Seema, it's it's fascinating. It's almost like it's turned into an investment strategy, this idea that you should play these short squeeze type companies. Let's focus not just on Europe here. What's happening on the Asian continent? There are so many stocks on that side of the world up as well. What's driving that maybe specifically in India as well? Yeah, that also caught my eye, Dom. The Bombay Sensex up about 5%. Indian ETFs are also having a strong day. That seems to be in response to the finance minister unveiling uh, the country's annual budget. And in that presentation, the finance minister uh, mentioning a number of factors that investors really wanted to hear. One is uh, privatizing infrastructure, tax deductions for aircraft leasing, and also higher foreign ownership uh, in certain sectors, all part of the country's pandemic recovery plan as the country does look to get out of this crisis. Dom. I guess the one thing is if you're long stocks globally, you're doing pretty well right now. Seema Modi, thank you very much for the update there. Coming up on the show, from the Reddit revolt to quarterly earnings reports, the stories most likely to drive the trading day ahead. As you can see there, the Dow and supplied higher by roughly 185 points. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to our new podcast, Worldwide Exchange, every day in audio format. If you miss us, check us out on Apple or Spotify or whatever podcast app you choose. Worldwide Exchange, podcasts. Keep it right here. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. What you're seeing right there is a live shot of Times Square in Manhattan, Midtown, New York City. You can see the snow there. It's piling up. The worst of it is yet to come. But New York City, kudos to you. You are doing a good job there. The streets look like they are being plowed on a semi-regular basis out there. Stay safe, everybody in the Northeast. Turning back now to the markets, futures right now indicating what should be a decently higher open. Right now, the Dow is implied higher by roughly 185 points. Now, this after last week's market turmoil surrounding GameStop and other short-squeezed stocks. Your next guess says that action could be a sign of structural changes ahead for the markets. Degas Wright is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Decatur Capital Management. He is also, of course, a CNBC contributor. Thank you very much for joining us this morning, sir. Let's talk about whether or not all of the craziness is going to lead to regulators and other groups saying the market needs to change. 
Well, good morning, Don. You know, as you said, structural change, because what we're seeing is that the millennial generation, those individuals from 25 to about 40 years of age, they are the dominant workforce, not only in the United States, but globally. And if we just look at the U.S. market, these individuals are going to be taking in uh, and inheriting about $60 trillion of the $100 trillion that are invested in the U.S. And so what we're seeing is, and this is actually going from the U.S. now, to, uh, you mentioned earlier, to Europe and Asia, where the millennial generation, they're changing the way that we invest. And we talked about this a lot in that as the market changes, Wall Street will change to adapt. And so that's what we're seeing. Do we, do we need changes in the regulations? I don't think we're going to see that in the short term. I think this is just a changing of the guard as it relates to markets. So, so how exactly do investors like you and everybody else out there uh, adapt to that? That new construct that you just referred to means a change of thought, a change of philosophy, a change in paradigm. What exactly does that do to your investment philosophy? Yes, yeah, Don, so what we look at is that let's just take example of payments. During the uh, pandemic, we've actually changed the way we pay for things, and that started about 10 years ago. If you look at PayPal with Venmo and Square with um, Cash App, in the last 10 years, both of those platforms have gained over 60 million users. Now, if we look at J.P. Morgan, a traditional brick-and-mortar bank, it took J.P. Morgan 30 years to reach that same level. At the end of 2020, um, Venmo had about 69 million and the um, Cash App had about 60 million users. So that's an example how, as an investor, you're looking now at the payments. Definitely PayPal, Square, compared to J.P. Morgan, is a better vet growth opportunity. So that's just one example. So if that's one example, then, I mean, you don't wholesale change, God. You don't wholesale change your investing construct just because of this. You allocate, right, to some of those themes. It's not like you're saying this is a wholesale change of the entire marketplace. There are still places that you want to be from the traditional value and growth type perspectives. Exactly, exactly. If we look at the overall markets, and during 2020, what we saw is that a lot of the companies actually started to cut back on their expenses. One example is Westrock, and they're basically the maker of paper products. Uh, and what they did is that they actually cut back their senior management team, took 25% pay cuts, and also they reduced other expenses. So what they're able to do now, they're able to actually benefit for improved margins as the market recovers. And so this is an example of an industrial company that is do, going to do very well because of their management team. So as an investor, you're looking for those opportunities that will benefit as we get into this reopening trade. All right. FinTech, a big theme for sure. They're among a lot of investors. Diggas, right. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it, sir. Have a nice day. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Let's check out what's happening with futures right now. Remember, a 620-point drop there for the Dow on Friday. You can see now the futures indicate a 185-point rise for the Dow at the opening bell. Now about 160, losing some steam. The S&P implied higher by 27. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage, and it comes up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only 
on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.